Well, good morning. It's, it's good to be with everybody this morning. Glad to be in church. Are you glad to be in church? Tell your neighbor you're glad to be in church. <laughs> Sounds like some of you are glad to be in church. Others of you are not so sure. Tell your neighbor you're glad to be in church. There you go. That's a little better. That's a little better. Uh, I'm, I'm pushing pause on the series that we are in right now through James. Last week I gave you an explanation of why we're going through James, and now I'm just stopping it for a second. Um, I wanted to stop it for a second just because of where we are um, in the life of the church and the life of the communities that we are in. We are getting ready to start back to schools. We have a number of uh, teachers in our congregations, uh, or in this congregation, um, and uh, we are also trying to decide kind of our next step for what we are calling Generations Project. If you are with us kind of for the first time, one of the things that we are trying to do um, is kind of to revitalize and remodel some of the areas and spaces in our church, um, in our church building, I should say, and one of them has been uh, the lobby and the children's wing, and I'm just happy to report as of right now, we have a couple like really just small things to kind of add and put in, and the lobby and children's wing but we have pretty much purchased everything that we are going to purchase for those areas, uh, except for, I think, a stage for the kids' church room right now. And that is finished because the signs have finally been put in and put up. And I, I just want to thank you because we have been able to do all of that debt-free, and that is our goal for the entirety of this project. The next part, yeah, we can clap for that. Uh, I, 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 my goal is kind of operate the church as I do my own finances, and I don't like to be in debt, and so I'm going to do our best to keep um, us as a church out of debt as well. And, and so our next uh, um, kind of goal is to really kind of remodel this space, some carpet. We're going to change the platform a little bit. We're going to put in a sound system that's not a portable sound system um, in this room so uh, that everybody hopefully can hear, because uh, if you're here, you probably want to hear um, maybe some of you don't. You just need a place to come and rest and sleep, and that's cool if this, you want to do that here. Uh, but uh, tomorrow night, if you would, pray for us because the stewards are meeting, and we're going to kind of decide on whether or not we're ready to move on to the second phase, which is the sanctuary. And a lot of, a lot of that will uh, depend on our finances. And so if you've been giving to the Generations Project, we thank you. If you give to our church on a regular basis, we thank you. We know that a healthy general budget is um, the best thing really just for our, our church. And so um, I just want to thank you for that. I also want to kind of give you um, an update that here within the next week or two, you will get a booklet and just kind of letting you know, too, everything that we've done and why we've done it and then what we're kind of hoping to do as we move forward. But now I want to switch gears. Um, I, I continue. On, I, I want to talk about the Generations Project, but not about brick and mortar, not about the color of the carpet or how the platform will look or any of that. Uh, because to be honest, like the goal is never in a church is to kind of remodel spaces. We don't, we don't come to a, a church so that we can come and just be in a really nice building, but we come uh, so that we can have our hearts and our minds remodeled. Uh, and, and that's really the essence of what we are trying to do as a church, because here's the truth is that Jesus cares a lot less about how this room looks um, than he does about how your heart looks and what you want for the people whom you love and the people around you and the people in the, in the community. And so we have a goal as a church to care for everybody. Uh, that was one of the reasons we started what we called the Generations Project. We wanted a place where it was easy um, for our seniors and those who were, have disabilities to come in to this side of the building and feel comfortable. Um, we wanted it to be, be easy for them to use any of the facilities that we have. And so one of the things we did is we updated facilities and made them more user-friendly. Let's put it that way. 
one of the things that we wanted to do is we wanted this to be a place when visitors come that they feel welcome. Um, that it's easy to see where you're going. You know, we have big signs right now for a reason. We wanted people to be comfortable when they first show up to this place because I might say something that makes them uncomfortable, right? You, you ever, that, like, that's my job is to make them uncomfortable, not, not everything else that we have out there. Uh, and, and so we've done our best to do that with visitors. Uh, and one of the things that we wanted to do is we wanted this to make uh, this to be a place um, that the next generation knew uh, we wanted them to be a part of. We, we want this to be a place where we are pouring in and investing in the next generation of believers. For some of you, it's your children. For some of you, it's your grandchildren. Uh, for some of you, it's just kids in the community. Maybe you don't have kids in this church, but maybe you have grandchildren. And anybody in this community, maybe you have a young granddaughter and there's a young boy in the community. And I promise you that if you have a young granddaughter, you want that boy to be in our church, right? And, and so we just want to wanna invest in the next generation. But this can be hard to do. Uh, this can be hard to do for a, a number of reasons. Um, one is because I believe that the enemy does not want generations to get along. He, he, he just doesn't. Right? We see this taking place really kind of right after Adam and Eve sin, right after the garden. And one of the things that takes place is that God shows up in the garden. We have this thing called the Proto-Evangelium. And I've talked about this with you before, but basically that just means the first gospel, the first sign of the gospel. And what happens is God is going to show up and he's going to say, yes, I know you sinned, but I'm sending someone to redeem the world. I'm sending someone to make everything right. And, and we get our first hint of this in Genesis 3. And I, I want to read this to you. And here's God speaking to Eve, and he says this. He says, I'm going to put enmity, in other words, I'm going to put hostility between you and the woman. And he's, ta or excuse me, he's talking to the serpent here. I I'm going to put hostility between you and the woman and between her offspring and your offspring. And here's what he says is going to happen. He says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Uh, now, you get the imagery here, right? The, the Satan shows up kind of in, the enemy shows up in like the form of a serpent here. And, and so the imagery here is that the son of Eve, in other words, a, a son of the, of the people of God is going to show up and he is going to step on the serpent with his heel. And so it's going to hurt his heel as he crushes the head of the serpent. And so we, looking forward, we see that this is Jesus on the cross, right, crushing Satan himself. Like, he was, he was hurt on the cross, but ultimately Satan is going to be crushed. And, and this is the way that he's going to do it. He's going to do it through the son of a woman, through the child of a woman of God. And so I believe here that throughout Scripture what we see is actually the enemy showing up, trying to keep one generation, right, uh, from loving the next, or vice versa. So what do you see when Pharaoh comes around? You see Pharaoh decree that all the firstborn shall be killed, that all, the peop all, all the, those born to the Israelites should be killed. And who flows down the river in a basket? Moses. Right? The Israelites were surrounded by people that actually sacrificed their children to appease the gods, to either gain more wealth or get more rain or whatever it may be. And the Israelites were never allowed to do that. When you get into the New Testament, what happens? Right? Herod decrees that all the firstborn males shall be killed. Right? Today we, we see this spirit, obviously, um, for those who no longer want to stick up for the unborn. But, but maybe on a, a lesser scale, we can see this 
from those who are maybe overly critical of any generation or a generation under them. And this is a spirit that we want to remove um, from our hearts and ourselves. Because our job as a church is to make sure that we never divide along generational uh, lines. And especially our job as those who have matured in the faith is to actually bring people to maturity. Right? If, if you see immaturity in somebody, your job is, is not to engage them with a critical spirit, but it's to bring them maturity. And, and that is the role of the church. And, and so today, as we think about this and we think about the hostility that can take place but that must not take place, I, I want to talk to you about protecting the next generation from the enemy, enemy's attacks. We must protect the next generation from the enemy's attacks, if you're taking notes. And here's the thing, right? We have to learn and we have to teach them how to resist the enemy. And the first way we do this, right, if you're married with children, I'm just going to tell you this, right? The, the first way you go about this is that you protect your marriage. You protect your marriage, we know that the scriptures say God hates divorce. Now, God doesn't hate divorcees. And so, right, if you have um, gone through a divorce and if you have separated, I, I, I'm not here to kind of dig into you. Right? That's, that's not my role. But I am here to warn those, right, um, who are not taking their marriage seriously or who are not investing in their marriage or who are not uh, protecting their marriage. Because God values your marriage and God hates divorce because he loves children. And one of the best things that you can do for your children is to protect your marriage. In Malachi 2, uh, verses 14 through 15, God is saying this to God's people. He said, did they not make them one? Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? In other words, what God is saying to them is that, that marriage is a spiritual union that God has ordained, that God has given us. All right? It's not something that we create or make up or something that should be easily walked away from because God has given it to us. And he says, in marriage, what was this one God seeking? His answer, godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Right? So we got, if this is true, if marriage, as we come together, is the best thing for our children and what we are trying to produce is godly offspring, here's the thing um, that I, I try to teach on a consistent basis that you need to put your spouse first. And by putting your spouse first, you're actually putting your children first. Because children take a lot of work. And they need you. And they need you to be together. They need you to be together for their security. They need you to be, they need you to be together for their spiritual development. And as you stay together, what you are actually helping you, your, your children to do is to reach their highest potential. Right? Studies show over and over again, uh, those who come from intact families r reach higher levels right, of satisfaction with their lives than children who don't. Now, that does not mean, right, if, if you've made a mistake that your children are doomed. They're not. They're not. But we know that children have a, a, a higher success rate, right, if, if you are willing to love your spouse well. So love your spouse well because God gives all children's potential, and he wants your children, he wants our children to reach their potential, this is why this morning, too, I, you know, I asked Pastor Doug and I told our staff, I said, we have a number of teachers who uh, attend our, our, our church, and so we need to make sure that we are praying over our teachers as they gear up and go back to school, because if you are a teacher, you have a really hard job. Why? Because you are, you are teaching our children. You are teaching the children of the community. But not only that, um, sin is just so available now. Uh, when you read through Genesis, what you discover is Adam and Eve's first two children. One of them is Cain, and, and God tells Cain, he says, be careful because sin is crouching at the door. 
And sin is probably crouching at the door of our young people um, right now more than it has ever been. I mean, just think about this. Like, it's in their pocket. Like, what you and I, you and I had to wait for our parents, like, to go to bed to do what they, I won't explain what I'm talking about there, but for for our children to do what they can do across from you on the couch, and you not even know it, right? And you not even know it. It's hard. And and kids are, are, are going through a lot right now, right? Kids are being told who to be and what they do through the screen, uh, they're, they're, not, they're not being as guided as much um, or potentially being guided as much, by the way, as maybe by pe- people who love them and people who see a better future for them, but rather by, their, uh, by, by people they're, they're reading um, on their phones. They're not being guided by their pastors, but rather by pixelated peers. And so we need to be very careful, not just as parents and grandparents, but also as a community of believers, right? as a community itself. And God calls us to this. We are called to be a community that looks out for our young people. In Nehemiah 4, 14, it says this, Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people. In other words, I called together everybody here, is what Nehemiah is saying as they are getting ready to kind of build the walls around Israel and to um, get the people of God really on their great building project. And here's what he does as he calls the whole community together. He tells them, he says, Don't be afraid of the enemy. He says, Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Right? And so what he says, he says, fight. Fight. Right? Everybody with me, ready? Fight. fight. All right, let's try that because I just didn't tell you when. All right? So, so on the count of three, we're going to say fight. One, two, three, fight. All right, that's pretty good. I, you know, I, I'm kind of fired up. I'm getting to coach freshman football this year, so uh, I've never coached football before, and I've always wanted to, and now I have the opportunity. So, like, I can yell at people besides you, um, and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, but, but we need to fight for our young people. We need to fight for our young people because here's the thing, right? Uh, we care about them. We really do. We care about them whether they're our grandchildren or not. We care about them whether they're our children or not. We, we, care, we care about the kids in the community. Right? We do. And we want to take care of all children. That's what, one of the reasons we do fifth quarter, by the way. Right? It's not just to take care of our own. We have people, not just from town, we have people from all over who teach at different schools, who go to different schools. Right? We, just, we just love our young people here because we believe that they have potential. Not only that, some of you have heard about D.L. Moody, right? Um, so if you haven't, what you can do is you can turn your dial on the radio to 103.3, and what you'll discover is it's Moody Radio. Um, well, who was D.L. Moody? Well, D.L. Moody was likely probably the greatest evangelist in the 1800s. Um, you can argue about that, but he probably brought more people to faith in the 1800s, maybe than anybody else. Now, before he became an evangelist, he was a, he was a shoe salesman. Uh, nobody knew who D.L. Moody was, and, but he came to Christ and he decided that he wanted to be a pastor. Well, D.L. Moody uh, wasn't even, didn't even get membership to, into his church the first time he tried because they said he wasn't educated enough and didn't understand the gospel enough to be a part of the church that he came to faith in. Not only that, but after he came to faith and decided that he wanted to be a pastor, it was a hard place to find a place to pastor because being a new pastor is tough. I can tell you from experience that everybody wants a, um, maybe a young, vibrant pastor, but they want them all with like 10 to 20 years of, of experience. And that doesn't happen. Like, that doesn't exist. And so D.L. Moody had a hard time finding a place to minister. So do you know what D.L. Moody did? He moved to Chicago and he started a ministry to children. Uh, D.L. Moody decided to start something that they called Sunday Schools. 
And what he did is he welcomed in a bunch of street kids. And he taught street kids, and he had a ministry to hundreds of kids uh, where he taught them short, in short bursts, and then he had them run around and be crazy because that's how you have to teach kids, right? You teach them a little bit, and then you let them get wild and do whatever, and you teach them a little bit. Well, eventually this ministry started to grow and grow, and uh, D.L. Moody uh, became a leader in the Christian world in the Chicago area. And in fact, he helped start the YMCA. The YMCA, if you don't know this or not, actually starts, uh, stands for um, Young Men's Christian Association. And D.L. Moody helped get that off the ground and helped fund it and all of those sorts of things. Well, D.L. Moody's evangelistic ministry started with children. Started with children, and it grew to be the biggest evangelistic ministry in the world at that point in time. Now, now, why do I tell you this? Well, one thing, one reason is because if you are serving in our children's ministry, what you do is important. It, it, you, 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 are, you are not just going back with our children maybe a couple times a month to babysit them. You are preparing our children to be the next generation of leaders and Christians in this church and in this world. So, right, so don't treat that time as just kind of a babysitter's club because it's not. We haven't organized it to be a babysitter's club. Is it, it's in time to invest in the next generation and to invest in our kids. Studies are showing us that if a child doesn't make a profession of faith by the t- time they're 13, it's likely that they won't ever make a profession of faith. If you don't make it by the time you turn 20, um, the statistics go down even further, and it's even more unlikely that you won't come to the faith. So in the 1940s, we began to discover this um, as well, and uh, because kids were no longer to have full-time jobs, um, we had to, we also developed something called adolescence, and so we started um, youth groups in our churches in about the 1940s, uh, a organization that helped kind of get this started and teach how to do youth groups was called Youth for Christ. Uh, do you know who Youth for Christ uh, hired to be their primary evangelist and teacher? By a young man named of Billy Graham. Billy Graham learned how to speak to people and bring people to Christ by speaking to young people. Did you know that? Like, as, as Billy Graham's ministry, right, began to expand and grow, and as people came to faith, they did so just under the generation of Billy Graham, and his ministry projected with the generations under him, right? That's, that's, how, he, that's how he cut his teeth in ministry, right? And so why do I tell you that? Here's the thing. Like many of us, like we pray for revival, we want revival, we desire revival, we, we, we desire for cultures and communities to change. Right? Uh, the place to start, if, if we take history seriously, right, the, the place to start is by discipling the next generation. Right? It is caring about generations below us and those who will come after us. It doesn't mean that we neglect our own. Of course, we don't. I went to the Harvesters meeting last night, and it was fantastic. And I can tell you, like, there's something um, for my generation and those under me to learn uh, from them and the way they love each other and the, the fun that they have with one another and the community that they have developed. Right? But here's the thing. We have to be willing to disciple the next generation, and our hearts have to go out towards them. And so here's just some principles. I'm just going to end with a few principles here that we want to encourage in the next generation and we want to instill in them um, as we seek to disciple them. Here it is. Here's number one. It's, we want to we uh, encourage them to obtain wise friends. We want to encourage them to obtain wise friends. Uh, not smart friends. I mean, that would help. 
not wealthy friends, not poor friends, but wise friends. Now, why wise friends and not godly friends? Well, in Proverbs, I'm going to share, be sharing with you a lot of Proverbs here. Well, in Proverbs, it says that the, the, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, and so wise friends are typically godly friends, right? Here's the thing. We are the sum total of our relationships. We know this even as adults, right? We become like the people that we hang around most. This is one of the reasons we encourage everybody to get in growth groups, right? We know that we are influenced by our peers no matter our age, and so I, I'm thankful as I look back on my own life, right, in my own tra- trajectory, I was, I'm thankful because I had, I had some really wise friends through high school. I, I can tell you one, about one of them right now. I won't get into the details, but his name is Stephen Moyer. Right? He lives down in Kentucky now, and his, his wife is the office manager in their church. Right? He's really involved in the leadership in their church. I, I'm thankful for that because I, I, I don't know if I would still be here today if it weren't for Stephen. I came to faith with Stephen. I played football with Stephen. went to the youth group with Stephen. I'll just give you this principle, right? This is a truism, by the way, so this isn't um, always true all the time, but it's just a general principle. Uh, show me your friends, and I can show you your future, right? Uh, I, I mean, we know that is kind of basically true most of the time. This is why the Proverbs say, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools, and you get in trouble. Right? We know that's true, right? We've always, <laughs> we've all had that situation where we're like, well, if I wasn't with him... Um, If I wasn't with her, it probably wouldn't have happened. Or maybe if they weren't with you, all right, they wouldn't have done it. Uh, I was with a group of people a while ago, um, young people, and we were talking, and it came up. I don't know how it came up, uh, but one of the young men um, started talking, and he he said this. He said, said, yeah, one of my buddies told me, if you're going to get it suspended, make make it worth it. And I, like, stopped because because I knew this kid, right? And I, I, I knew that he can't afford to miss any more school than what he probably is going to just from being sick or whatever. And I said, what did you just say? So yeah, if you get suspended, you, you need to make it, work it worth it. All my, all my buddies tell me that. I said, that is foolish, right? I said, you need to go to school, right? Like, he will not reach his potential if he is not in school. Proverbs ten twenty three says this. I, I didn't give you this in your notes, but it says, doing wrong is like a joke to the fool, but wisdom brings pleasure to a man of understanding. Here's the truth about all of our young people. Here's the tr- truth about all of you is that all of us want to reach our potential. Like there's, there's nobody in this room, there's nobody outside of this room, really, that in their right mind, it's that if you sat down with them, right, as they, they talked about their life with you, that they're saying, yeah, I hope to mess up here, I hope to mess up here, I hope to not get into this school, I hope not to get this job, I hope to get fired. Like nobody, nobody plans to ruin their life. Nobody plans for that. And so the truth is, is that we all need advice. And I believe that as a believer, God gives you a special sort of wisdom in which you can speak in to, to our young people, to the next generation, to your friends. Proverbs fifteen twenty two says, plans, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. I believe that we have some good advisors in this church. And for some of you, right, you may want to get to know somebody in the next generation because they need you. There are people in this church that have been through so much. There are people in this church who have made major decisions in their lives, and um, some have succeeded and some have failed. Either way, you've had to learn how to live with them and how to move through, right? If you're a young person in this church, there are people who have lost jobs, have lost spouses, have lost children, have lost so much because life is hard. 
And you, can, you have a lot to learn from them. Not, not only could they give you plans to succeed in life, but they could actually counsel you and comfort you and, and direct you in the right, right direction. The older generation, you can do that. And, and by the way, like they, they, we need to hear that. Everybody needs to hear that from you. So number one, obtain wise friends. Number two, we want to encourage everybody to live out their God-given purpose. Live out their God-given purpose. Now here's the thing. We all have narratives for our lives that we're living out. Um, some of you are living out narratives that God has given you. Some of you are living out narratives that God hasn't given you. I remember uh, in high school, uh, I joined the, the drama club my senior year. We really didn't have one before my senior year. And so I decided to, to join it uh, because I, I, I enjoy that sort of thing every once in a while, like acting. And, but my drama club teacher came up to us, or came up to me, and she said, hey, Josh, good news. We actually have um, a drama that we're going to do, and I'd like you to be a part of it. Would you be a part of it? And I said, sure. So what are we going to do? She said, well, we're going to do a musical. I said, wait a second. <laughs> I didn't sign up for a musical. I can't sing. And she said, well, uh, that's okay. I can teach you. I said, no, you can't. <laughs> like, like, I'm not a singer. I, I can't sing. Nobody in my family sings. I'm awful. I, try, I always wanted to be Garth Brooks, um, but I never, I had the black hat. The dust, I mean, I had it all, right? Like, so, but I, I can't sing. I, I just know I'm, I'm not good at it. Uh, so I, I said, she said, well, will you be in it? I said, yes, but like, I have, a, you better give me, I need a speaking part. She said, well, there aren't just any purely speaking parts. So, okay, so I need a speaking part, and I need a small part where I can lip sync. And she agreed. So we're practicing and we're practicing. We get about three weeks away. And she comes up to me just really worried because our lead hadn't been showing up. We were going to do Greece. And our lead hadn't been, show, hadn't been showing up to practices. And I had like the small part, Johnny Casino. He's like the DJ, right? He just dances and like acts like he's playing guitar. So it was, and she comes up to me and she says, Josh, um, would you be the lead? I'm really worried. Our lead is not showing up. You look more the part. Back then, you see, I had like black, I had dark hair and a lot of it. And the, the lead, the lead just, he didn't, I won't tell you how he looked, but he didn't look the part. And so she says, you look the part. I, I think you can do it. I can teach you. To, I said, no, you can't. Um, and she said, well, you'll slick your hair back. I had hair then. Like, you, like it wasn't always this cool, like male pattern balding by the way, if anybody has ever lost their hair, don't, like, give them a hard time about it, because men never like that. Like, I remember, I remember praying, like, when I lost my hair, God, please don't let me lose all this hair, but God answers prayer, though, because good news, I found it. It just moved to my back, but, um, (laughs) but she, she came up to me, and (laughs) it's kind of gross. Um, (laughs) It's true, but it's gross. Uh, So, she came up to me and she says, you can do it. And I said, no, I can't. I, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not doing it. It's just not w- w- what I'm made for. Like, I, I just know it, right? And this is not like some happy s- story that's going to end in me singing the part because I decided there's no way I was going to do that part. And guess who showed up and did the part really well? The guy who was given the part. Like, he did it, but he was capable of doing it after he started showing up to practices. Um, like, here's, here's the thing. Like, here, here's my point. Like, some of you are living out a narrative for your life, right? And you're playing parts that other people have given you and that God hasn't given you. You, you get that? Like, so, some, of, some of you are living um, a life that maybe even, even your, maybe your parents are speaking into you. Maybe, 
Maybe uh, your coaches are speaking into you. Maybe your teachers, maybe your friends are speaking into you, but it's not God's plan for your life, right? We want to live out God's purposes for our life. Jeremiah 29, 11 and 13 says this. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for peace, shalom, right? This is like peace in all areas of life. This is general welfare for you, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you, and, I will seek, and you will seek me and find me, and when you seek me with all, and when you seek me with all your heart. Here's what God promises, right? If we're living out his purpose for our life, God promises us peace. St. Augustine used to say it like this, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And I, I will tell you this, um, I was a very restless young person. I, I told you this a little bit last, last week, like I like to be liked. Right? I, I like to live out other people's narratives for my life if I can make them happy. But the truth is, right, we must be living out the narratives that God has given us. How do we do that? Right? We've got to pray. Right? We have to encourage prayer in our young people. If you're a young person, right, you have to learn to pray. You have to learn how to speak to God, and you have to learn how to listen to God. That's the first way you've got to do it. The second is you've really got to seek after God with all of your heart. Like, he has to be what you're after. Right? If you're, you are after other people's praise, if you are after uh, other people telling you good job, right? if you are after just primarily other, other people's acceptance in your life, right? you will not have the peace that's promised here. You won't. Your heart has to be given to God fully. See, the, pressure, the pressures of our life always lessen when we are living out the purposes of God. I love this. Some of this message, by the way, um, was spoken by Chris Hodges several weeks ago at Church of the Highlands, and he said this, and I never heard this, but it's so true, right? He says, knowing God's purposes silences people's opinions. Knowing God's purposes silences people's opinions. What's your purpose? All right, so what's your purpose? I'll give you this, right? For some of you, it's going to be like, oh, that's awesome, right? I needed that. For others of you, you're going to want more specifics. But it's simply this, to bring glory to God. Your life's purpose is to bring glory to God. I can't give you the specifics because I don't know them. And by the way, I don't want that kind of control over your life. But one of the ways that we do help you kind of discover, right, God's purpose for your life is through next steps. That's one of the reasons we invite people to next steps, because we take a look at your personality and the spiritual gifts that God has given you, and I give you that information, and then it's between you and God to decide how to bring him glory. So we're going we're to help people attain wise friends. We're going to live out our God-given purpose. And number three is we're going to put others first. Now somebody right now is saying, well, you're supposed to put God first. Yes, right? but, but what does that look like, right, horizontally? It looks like putting God first, and I put, said put God first just because I want to emphasize this, because it's so de-emphasized right now in our culture. Like, we are like a, a me first, a, a selfie culture, and so I want it to just kind of stick out a little bit, to put others first. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to his only interests, but also to the interest of others. Right now, this is hard for everybody, right? This is hard for every generation, right? Because we are all selfish, right? We, we all want to kind of look out for us. Right? It can be hard to, 
develop a life where we are truly investing our time, right, our talents, and our treasures for the kingdom of God and for others to make a difference in this world. But here's the thing that we must all be doing as we think about our own time, our own talents, and our own treasures, right, is we must be responsible in managing all of those and stewarding all of those, but we also must instill responsibility in the next generation. We must show them that we feel a responsibility for our families, for our churches, for our communities. We must show others that we care for others. By the way, right, the, the reason the reason kind of a lot of the self-esteem movement doesn't work right, is because to build someone's self-esteem and to build your own self-esteem, right, you have to esteem others. Like that's, that's how that, those who feel a responsibility to others, right, do a much better job at loving themselves than those who don't. And in some ways, this is a story of the Good Samaritan. I won't tell it all, but when, the, when Jesus is asked, what must I do to follow God? Jesus then tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Well, what does the Good Samaritan do? He, he shows up and he sacrifices his, his time, his talents, and his treasures to take care of his neighbor and to love his neighbor well. Albert Einstein put it like this. He said, a life, worth lived, or a life lived for others is a life worth living. A life lived for others is a life worth living. And by the way, if you don't believe me uh, about this, just test it and try it. Right now, if you're living for yourself and you're not living for your others, change, change the way you do things. Right? And start living for others. And just see right, if your life doesn't change. See if you don't experience more joy. You're probably seeking after pleasures for yourself, but what you're discovering, right, as you're living for yourself, your life isn't becoming more pleasurable, it's becoming less pleasurable. Psychologists call that the pleasure paradox. The the more you feed yourself and the less you feed others, right, the less pleasure and the less full you will actually feel. And so a life worth lived is a life worth living is a life lived for others. Number four is this, is we want to encourage everybody to pursue authentic faith. Pursue authentic faith. And I didn't necessarily give you these in the order that they are of importance. They're all important, and this may be the most important, as we want to encourage people to pursue authentic faith. The reason we do this is that you're not born a Christian. You're not born a Christian. So in our church, one of the ways that we teach this and remind people of this is that we have baby dedications, and so we don't baptize children um, because we believe that baptism follows a profession of faith. And a profession of faith comes at some point in a person's life when they are able to make the decision to decide to follow Jesus Christ. Because you're not born a Christian. And so at some point, you have to make a decision for your faith to be real and authentic and even public. And so if there's authentic faith, there must be inauthentic faith. And one of the reasons we've been going through James is that's kind of the purpose of James, is to show that our faith can express itself in unauthentic ways, and in fact, there can actually be with people with inauthentic faith. Well, James gets that idea from his brother Jesus. Here in Matthew 15, 8 through 9, Jesus says this. He says, A whole generation of people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. They teach man-made ideas as commands from God. So, when we think about being in an authentic relationship 
with Jesus and for our faith becoming authentic, right? We must have a true relationship with our Creator. Well, how does that take place? It's not by following uh, a bunch of arbitrary rules that we have made up, right? But it's a faith that deals, that deals honestly with the Scriptures and what it means to be a Christian and trying to, with our, all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to follow the Lord and to love the Lord above all else. It's to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? It's not to go through the motions. And I just tell you, right, um, not only does your generation, not only do your friends, not only do the people in your growth group need to see you doing this, but the next generation needs to see us doing this. Because the truth is, right, if anybody can tell that we are inauthentic in our faith, it's the generation below us, right? Nobody is marketed to more than by them. Uh, people, people can tell, right, if you aren't living out an authentic faith and you aren't trying to pass down an authentic faith. Here's a truth I gave you several weeks ago in James. I wasn't giving you notes, though, but I had a man come up to me after the service to say that was really helpful. Uh, and he said, I had never thought of it about, about like that way, but he said, you really helped me here. And so he, here it is, is that Christianity is personal, but it's not private. Christianity is personal, but it's not private. Here's the thing, like your faith is deeply personal. In other words, right, you, as you are walking around trying to follow Jesus Christ, you have this personal relationship with the Lord as he is guiding you. But Christianity is never private. And here's what I mean by this, and everybody knows this, because as they come in, if you've ever read the New Testament, if you've ever read the Bible, any of it, what you'll discover is that it is personal, but it's never private, because Christianity is supposed to, always supposed to be transformational. Right? And you are the person who is being transformed. And people can see whether or not you are being transformed, right? Your children can see whether or not you're being transformed in the likeness of Christ. Your grandchildren can see if you're being transformed in the likeness of Christ. So it's personal, but it's never private. Now, those of you here who are younger, I just want to take my, the last few minutes here and kind of speak into you, right? Don't go through the motions, uh, don't just watch your, chill, your, your parents try to make their faith authentic. Okay. You are responsible for your own faith. You are responsible for your relationship with God. And so here's what I'm just going to encourage you to do. Make it real. Okay. Uh, put on grown-up faith. Okay. I, I want to encourage you and your generation and the next generation, right, to learn how to lead. In my eyes, I'm not very old. Um, I turned 33 about a month ago, uh, a little less than a month ago. Um, so I'm in my 30s. Uh, in my 20s, I decided that I wanted to lead a church. I realized that if I decided to lead a church, most of the people that I would be leading would probably be older than me, um, and that's still the case. Um, I had a wife at the time also. Yeah, except for you, Ryan. I had a wife at the time, too, who was also in her 20s, and still, she's still in her 20s. All right, fist bump, guys. Um, <laughs> Uh, and we, we recognize that we are going to have to be leading people who are older than us and even more mature in the faith. Right? But, but here's the thing that, that I believe, is that the Holy Spirit can use you no matter what age you are. Right? Uh, the Holy Spirit can use you no matter what age you are. I just had a couple bragging about them meeting Lou. Lou is one of the older people in our congregation. I won't tell them how old you are, Lou. Um, but I'll I tell you this, I'm encouraged every time I see Lou. Right? Uh, to me, the Holy Spirit ministers to me through Lou as much as he does anybody else. Right? There are a few generations between us, right? and I'm thankful for Lou. Right? Ryan, you minister to us. 
You, you, you minister, you, you can minister no matter your age, right? no matter who you are. God used Hannah. Right? God used Ruth, Naomi. Naomi's the younger one, who's the older one. God used Mary. God used Joshua. God used David. God used Jesus. Do you realize by the time that Jesus' ministry was older, he was my age, or he was done? God can use you. So just step up and lead. Make your faith real. Maybe some of you, right, you've, you're getting closer to lose age. <laughs> right? God can use you. Right? The Holy Spirit can use you. The Holy Spirit wants to use you. Right? Whatever generation you are, all you need to do is you just, you need to give God your life. You need to give God your life and ask him, use me for your purposes. Use me for your glory because I want to make a difference in this world. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning we give you thanks because you are a God who ministers to us through the Holy Spirit and speaks to us on a personal level. We do believe, Father, that our faith is personal, but it is not private. And so, Father, we do pray that you speak to each and every one of us personally. We pray, Father, that you speak to each and every person, no matter what generation that they are in, that you make this a church, Father, that is multi-generational, a church that loves one another, a church that cares for one another, a church that learns from one another, a a church that protects one another, a church that helps each other reach their God-given potential. Father, we pray that as we come together on Sundays, that as we look around, we see wise friends who care about us. We see people who encourage us to live out our purpose. We see people who put others first. And we see people who are pursuing authentic faith. I pray, Father, over the next generation that it will be coming up behind us, those who are back in the children's ministry, Father, We pray for our children's workers. We are thankful for them. We pray for our children. We pray that you raise them up to know Christ. We pray, Father, for those in our youth ministry. We're thankful for Doug and Susan and pray that you empower them to speak truth and to our students. We pray for our teachers. We are thankful for them as they are getting ready to go back to their schools. We pray that you give them patience. We pray that you give them joy, peace, and kindness. Father, we pray for those in leadership in our church. We pray that we are people who care for each and every person here as we seek to invest in your kingdom and in your future for your glory. As in Christ's name we pray, amen.